All right. So today we're done already with our series in uh, Isaiah, right? So something we finished. That was fantastic. So today is just a Thanksgiving message. So when I woke up this morning, I wasn't even quite awake. Uh, and there's just a strong sense of joy. And it wasn't connected to anything. It was just joy. <laughs> and I just, I was like, wow, thank you. God, that's awesome. And it stayed, and it's still there. <laughs> and it was just this beautiful sense of joy. And I'm just so grateful for that gift. I hope that as we uh, are together this morning, and I even pray that, that that joy would show up in your heart this morning uh, as we talk and as we share and as we listen and as we pray. So just three verses today uh, that we are going to be looking at. <clears throat> Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So obvious choice for today. Notice just the pervading uh, encouragement to be thankful and really in three different ways. The first time, he just says it as a general disposition. Be thankful. There's this broad disposition. He calls for peace, and in that peace, simply be thankful. Very general disposition that he's encouraging us to choose. And then he speaks uh, further on here. He says, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So here, not just a disposition, but it's a motivation. Let gratitude move you to worship. So be in a general disposition of thankfulness, and then out of that disposition, be motivated to worship with gratitude. And then finally, he says, no matter what you do, whether you're talking or acting, whatever it is, do it in the name of Jesus, for the sake of Jesus, and give thanks to God. So it's an offering, and this idea of a continual offering to God. So pretty pervasive, pretty pervasive idea, and definitely a good one. Paul is asking here for a choice. It's a willful choice. And I think that's the most important thing to understand about thankfulness. In a country like ours where so much goodness is available and where we often get to choose what we want to experience, right? I mean, kind of almost all day long. And especially during our discretionary time, we live in a place where we can opt for kind of whatever we want. If you've ever traveled abroad or you have friends that are in other places in the world, most people in the world don't have the freedom that we do to kind of order our circumstances to some degree. We're not in control of everything, but so much of it we're able to make work for us so that we can truly be happy in our circumstances. But Paul is writing universally to the whole world and in all time. And I would say that we are unique in that freedom to make sure that we're fairly happy fairly regularly. Most of the world is not there. And so obviously Paul is calling for a choice, even though circumstances in life may not make you happy. It might be hard to be thankful for them. And he says in this way, to be thankful, to be motivated by gratitude, and to give praise to God. I would say that this encouragement is really a spiritual discipline. You remember we talked earlier in the year, in the first six months, we shared a spiritual discipline each month. Do you guys remember that? What were some of those disciplines we talked about? Sabbath? Yeah. Fasting? Yeah. It's likely this is also, I think, a spiritual discipline. It's a choice that we make 
to align our hearts and our minds with the will of God and to help us obey God. And that's why we fast and that's why we Sabbath. We do things that enrich our spirits together and enrich us as a community. And in the same way, this is also a discipline. It's a choice. It's a practice that we can do to align ourselves with God and with who God is and with the kingdom of God and how it works. Uh, science has even shown this, and you guys have, yeah, <laughs> our uh, PsyD students over here going, yep, absolutely. Studies have been done, and I watched a couple of YouTube presentations by people who were not followers of Jesus Christ and not believers in God, and they just say, it's just true, we're wired this way, that when humans express gratitude, it's a good thing. And it works with our brain, and it works with our chemistry. We were wired for it, we were created for it, and it's good for us. This one gentleman suggested this, and again, with no reference to God, he said he has started a habit every morning when he wakes up, he says, thank you. I'm not sure to who, but he just says, thank you. And every night when he goes to bed, he says, thank you. And this is his habit. It's a spiritual discipline for him. Not necessarily in the name of Jesus, but even a non-believer is recognizing gratitude is somehow what we were wired for. Take that and couple it with the reality that we have a God to whom we can say thank you. And I think that we are doubly blessed, that we can do what we were wired to do and do it with the one to whom we were wired to do it, to be grateful to God. I did a little bit of research, too, on the history of American Thanksgiving, and I thought it was kind of fascinating. I don't know if you guys know this, but I'll share it with you real quick. So um, we all know the story of Plymouth Rock or the many stories that are out there about the pilgrims and the Indians and that first Thanksgiving. But Thanksgiving wasn't established as an American holiday until, do you know which president? Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln actually was the first president to glare a national Thanksgiving. So before that, for about 80 years, it was mainly New Englanders. I think because of this original practice around Plymouth Rock and up in New England, they had Thanksgiving days. And they kind of happened state to state, and they didn't happen regularly. They were in October, they were in November, they were in December, and they were in January. So they were all over the map. But the actual impetus behind it was a woman named Sarah Hale. Anybody know anything about Sarah Hale? Oh, there we go. We have a historian in the back. I should let you, I should let you explain this. That's right. Every one of you have memorized one of her compositions. Do you believe that? Probably. What would it have to be if everyone in the room has memorized it? Mary Had a Little Lamb. There you go. Thanks, Bill. This woman wrote Mary Had a Little Lamb. She wrote a lot of stuff. She lived for 90 years, and she was primarily an author and an editor. So let me read a little bit of the story to you here. Sarah Hale was an American writer and influential editor. Every one of us have memorized one of Sarah's compositions. She was the author of the nursery rhyme, Mary Had a Little Lamb. Hale spent her life championing primarily three causes, national unity, the abolition of slavery, and the education of women. These were the things that she felt were most important and most necessary in our country, and so she spent her life writing about and promoting them in very positive ways. Sorry, Hale, Whale, there we go. <laughs> Hale may be the individual most responsible for making Thanksgiving a national holiday in the United States. It had previously been celebrated mostly in New England. Each state scheduled its own holidays, some as early October, others as late as January. Her advocacy for the national holiday began in 1846 and lasted for 17 years. <laughs> 
What do you think she was waiting on? She was waiting on a president to agree with her that this was a good idea. She actually wrote to five presidents in secession throughout their service. And it wasn't until Abraham Lincoln came along that finally a president said, this is a great idea, let's do this. One of the things that's, to me, very ironic about it is the timing. Do you have any idea when Lincoln made this proclamation? What was going on in the nation historically? It was in the middle of the Civil War, which seems like a crazy idea. Like, why would that be so? But really, it's amazing. And I think it illustrates this point that the power of giving thanks is the most powerful when it's the most difficult to give thanks. So let me read for you the proclamation. It's very amazing. It was actually written by the Secretary of State, William Seward, who I think probably wrote a lot of Lincoln's speeches. Very articulate. But here's what it says. A proclamation. The year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come, others have been added, which are so extraordinary in nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even a heart which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. Can you imagine a leader in the United States of America today writing such a thing? That was a different time, wasn't it? Yep, yep. <clears throat> I love this statement. Even the most uh, hardened heart can be softened with this ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. In the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, which has sometimes seemed to foreign states to invite and to provoke their aggression, peace has been preserved with all nations. Order has been maintained, the laws have been respected and obeyed, and harmony has prevailed everywhere except in the theater of military conflict. So in other words, he was giving thanks for the relative peace that was around the United States, even though internally it wasn't at peace. So a lot of times nations will take advantage of a civil war in a particular country to come in at that time and try to take pieces of that nation in the distraction of civil war, but no such thing happened during the Civil War. So there was relative peace with other countries. And outside of the actual theater of the campaign, there was a lot of industry and growth going on that was actually quite healthy. It's a very huge contrast. Peace has been preserved. Needful diversions of wealth and of strength from the fields of peaceful industry <clears throat> to the nation's defense have not arrested the plow, the shuttle, or the ship. The axe has enlarged the borders of our settlements, and the mines as well of iron and coal as of precious metals have yielded even more abundantly than heretofore. <laughs> Population has steadily increased, notwithstanding the waste that has been made in the camp, the siege, and the battlefield. And the country, rejoicing in the consciousness of augmented strength and vigor, is permitted to expect continuance of years with large increasing freedom. Again, outside of the theater of war, and he's definitely not making light of this, neither the president nor the secretary of state would say that the Civil War was not a small thing. These are the men who carried that war on their conscience. These are the men that had to make decisions about whether it continues or whether it stops. These are the men that are conscripting uh, the sons of Americans to go and fight. So they were very aware of it. And it almost feels like he could be making light of it, saying it's not a big deal, and he's not. He's fully aware of it. And yet, he's able to choose to be aware 
of the goodness of God beyond and outside of that theater of war. No human counsel hath devised nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and all those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficial Father who dwelleth in the heavens. Wow, what an incredible statement. And I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to him for such singular deliverance and blessings that do also with humble penitence for our nation's uh, perseverance and disobedience commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, and sufferings in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged and fervently employ the interposition of the almighty hand to heal the wounds of the nation, to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes, to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. In other words, let's thank God for all that is going on in spite of this reality of civil war. And in the midst of that thanks, let's also pray for those who have suffered in the midst of this campaign, for widows, for orphans, for mourners, and for those who suffer. Just such an appropriate, uh, holistic leadership. Gosh, and I just, don't you long for that kind of leadership? Yeah, especially on a national level. I mean, just imagine us coming into an era where this kind of thought and intention is what we hear on the news. You know, State of the Union address, that comes up. Wouldn't that just be amazing? That would be incredible. So good. So much maturity, so much wisdom, so much godliness. And here's how it ends. In testimony whereof, I have hitherto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be as fixed done at the city of Washington the third day of October in the year of our Lord, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln. A spiritual discipline and an entire nation invited to practice it. What's amazing, too, to me is that it still exists today. That holiday is just four days away. Somehow, in all that we've been through as a nation, we have not abandoned what we saw as a noble and wise idea. Some of us have turned it into Turkey Day. <laughs> That's just what we do with holidays. We reduce them to the lowest common denominator. But there's still freedom in our country to celebrate this day in any way that we want to. And certainly there's a recognition. And I've, I've noticed, you probably have too, there's still this thankfulness idea, even if it's not really directly spoken to God. People will talk about what you are thankful for. And I think that's just incredible. Again, we as humans are wired for gratitude. We are wired to be thankful. And we live in a country that still holds this holiday of gratitude. What I want to do is two things. I want us to actually together as a congregation this morning practice what President Lincoln opened the door for. And that is to take a little bit of time together to reflect on what are the aspects of our experience? What are the aspects of our community and our country and our state today that we could clearly state that we're thankful for? 
what are the parts of our experience that are beautiful, clearly the hand of God at work. And some of them are probably very small and some of them are very individual and some of them could be quite large and quite amazing. And I just want to take a few minutes right now to ask you, and I sent an email yesterday and I mentioned maybe sharing some stories and I was kind of prompting this idea that we together as a congregation would speak out uh, our own gratitude and really take this time to focus. Before we do that, I just want to mention in, in the sphere of... Um, Thank you. In the sphere of spiritual disciplines, I don't know if you noticed, maybe you've done this. Anybody ever participated in the Gratitude Project where you basically take a certain number of days, maybe 40 days, and you, you state your thankfulness for one thing? Yeah, who's done that before? Yeah, okay, awesome. David shared with us this morning, he's been doing it, maybe you've seen it posted on Facebook, and he shared with us this morning at prayer that experience, and I'd like you, David, if you would, just to take a minute or two and explain that again to us. Yeah, um, four years ago, um, so I was going through a transition in life, some big changes, and, and I just realized that I am in front of the mic, in front of the speaker, and it's going to feedback. Um, God just really prompted me to be grateful, and, and I was like, well, okay, well, what does that look like? And, um, and it just came to me, and I don't know if it was him or just an idea or whatever, but just to wake up every day and and post something on Facebook. Again, it's not for everybody else necessarily, but it's just for me to, to physically get it out, to post something that I'm grateful for every day in November. And I did it, and, and it was amazing the transformation that happened to me over, over that, that first time I did it. And this, this year I'm doing it again. This is the third year I've done it. And, um, and there is a, there's a tangible change. You can, you can ask my wife. Um, I tend to be kind of pessimistic um, by nature, and I see uh, in the story in the Bible of when they send the, the scouts into the land, I always dreamed of being a Joshua and Caleb, but when I'm really truthful, I'm not one of those. I'm one of the other guys. I'm one of the other guys, but I've always longed to be a Joshua and Caleb, so much so that it, literally, I know this sounds really weird, but like, you know when you get a new computer and you name your computer? I, all my adult life, I've named it Joshua or Caleb. Because that's who I want to be, but it's not my nature. And I'm telling you, this, this practice of waking up every day and looking for something to be grateful for and voicing it, they've been profound things. It's not just like, I mean, yes, sometimes it's simple as a sunset or a sunrise, but those prompt these other immense opening doors of gratitude. And it's transforming me into a Joshua and a Caleb. Where I see the giants, but I'm like, who cares? We've got God. And it's truly not just a discipline of saying, I'm going to choose to believe. I, it's my first response. And I know that it's because of this discipline. Mm -hmm. It's changing me inside. And I feel like it's changing literally my cells. Mm -hmm. I think it's changing who I am as a human being, mm -hmm. as a follower of Christ. Awesome. So good. Yeah, again, clearly God's wired us for this. I feel like it's a practice that we're all aware of. I've certainly have said nothing new, and nobody's going, wow, I never thought of that before. <laughs> the reason that I'm sharing it with you today is to say, could we do it more thoroughly? Could we make more of it? Is it actually something that is a little bit of a silver bullet in the spiritual life that we have yet to really grasp onto? I believe it is. I believe there's probably half a dozen things that if we do regularly and well, 
we'll find them making us powerful followers of God. I think one is reading your Bible every day. I think another is praying every day with all of your heart. And I think another is practicing gratitude faithfully. So let's practice together and let's just hear from one another. Who's got a bit of a story or a thought uh, that is something you are grateful for? Good news, we got four more days. <laughs> we can keep talking. Not here. I mean, we got to leave here, but, but we just have opportunity. I want to encourage you this week, especially in your households, to continue the conversation and continue the focus on the goodness of God. Where has God been good? And think globally and think, you know, small and big and local and far away because there's so much. This is why we rehearse our histories because if you think back through your history, Oh, it would take forever for some of us to talk about the goodness of God over 35 or 60 years. God is so good. And no matter how bad it gets, even in the life of Job, because of Jesus Christ, the final experience of humans can be a win, can be something worth praising God for. No matter what suffering we experience, no matter how much we experience death, the loss of relationships, deep hurts, um, illnesses. Jesus has won even those things. That's why Paul writes, death, where is your sting? Where is your like final say? Where is your destruction? It's swallowed up. It's gone. Sin, where is your power to destroy humans? It's taken away. Jesus has rendered it null and void. And though we continue in a broken life, the day is coming for every one of us when we will be released from the brokenness and the things that are hard and the things that are difficult and the things that make us doubt. And we will be in a place and with a God who for the rest of eternity, whatever that is, will have won. And all things that we experience will be good. And all things will be amazing. That day is coming. That day is coming. Doesn't that give us good reason to worship God this morning? Why don't you stand with me? Let me pray. And let's worship God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. Father, I just agree with Consuela that you have gifted us here as a, as a family with one another. And we are so grateful. God, I thank you the, for the overwhelming hospitality and care that is in this community. I thank you for the most sincere hearts. I thank you for so much faith for people who deeply believe in you. And even when they go through super hard stuff, God, they still believe that you're there and they still cry out to you and they still ask you for a yes. God, thank you for saying yes. Thank you for answered prayer. But God, we thank you most of all for Jesus, that in Jesus... Even our greatest disappointments are rescued. Even death is rescued. We praise you, Jesus, for what you've done. Thank you for taking away the power of death and the power of sin. We worship you now in spirit and in truth. God, you are a good God. We worship you for your goodness. We remember your goodness. Thank you in Jesus' name.